Welcome back to the Exoteric Cleric. I am your host, Pastor Jason Salyers, making recordings of great stories for my little friends at Hinsdale Adventist Academy. Tonight we are continuing with our book, Swift Arrow, reading chapter two called Building a House from Logs. And before we begin here, I want to just let you know that Throughout this book, there are some uh, attitudes and some comments that are certainly not appropriate, but then there are even some words that are used that are certainly completely inappropriate to use. I am choosing to use these words because this is the language that Josephine Cunningham Edwards wrote it in. But uh, it is not ever okay to use the term redskin. Uh, that is an offensive term. And as a Native American myself, I am also offended by it. But I am choosing to read the book as it is written. So follow along with me. Chapter 2, Building a House from Logs. George turned to take one last look back at the neat log house he had lived in for all his seven years of life. It seemed strange to see the door barred in the daytime, no curtains in the windows and no chickens in the side yard. Then he turned around and swung up next to Pa on the high wooden seat of their wagon. George noticed that Pa didn't even look back. He just yelled excitedly at the oxen pulling their wagon. Yeah, yeah, get along there, yeah. Clouds of dust rose from the road as the big wagon slowly rolled forward. Men shouted at their oxen and other animals set up a frightful noise as they moved along beside the wagons. It seemed that all the animals were belling, bellowing all at once. Cows mooing, pigs snorting, sheep bleeding. Pa jumped to the ground to urge his livestock on. George heard Ma inside the wagon calling goodbye to Grandpa and Grandma Boylan. Then Grandpa was walking alongside Pa. George waved goodbye, and Pa stretched out his strong, firm hand to clasp Grandpa's wrinkled one. Tears glistened in Grandpa's eyes. Don't forget, Marcus, there's danger in them woods, Grandpa shouted above the noise. Be careful of the Indians. Few of the ones as far back as you're going have ever heard of William Penn or his Treaty of Love. Don't let George wander from your sight. Pa grinned. Don't worry, Pa. I'll teach George to take care of himself. And the Indians, too. And with that, the Boylan family, along with 14 other families, were off on their adventure. George didn't know whether or not Grandpa was right about the Indians. But he didn't really care. He wasn't afraid. Not even of redskins. Traveling slowly into the forest, sometimes cutting their own roads as they went and moving only four or five miles a day, these pioneers could not know that the disagreements between England and America had finally reached ahead, resulting in the American Revolutionary War. Soon after they left Germantown, Paul Revere, an engraver and silversmith in Massachusetts, went on his famous ride, warning the farmers of the invading English redcoats. The battles of Lexington and Concord were fought, but young George Boylan and his family heard nothing of them. They just continued to urge their oxen over the strange ground, eager to reach their new home. As night approached, they drew their wagons into a meadow or glade and allowed their livestock to graze. 
Then George would run with the other boys his age and gather sticks and brush for the huge bonfire the men built. They needed this fire not only for light, heat, and cooking, but to scare off the wild animals that prowled close by. When the boys saw that the fire was blazing and they had carried enough water from some nearby spring or river for their mothers, they would gather at the edge of the clearing or else explore the edge of the woods for small animals or unusual insects. Sometimes they found little harmless green snakes that they hid in their pockets and saved until later in the evening when everyone had gathered around the campfire. They would then pull out the snakes and watch the girls scream. It worked every time. Always with George when they played was George's best friend, Robert Stewart. Robert was skinnier and weaker than any of the other boys, but George enjoyed looking out for him. And though he might tease Robert once in a while or playfully wrestle him to the ground, he made sure none of the other boys did anything to hurt his friend. On the eleventh day out, the wagon train pulled to a halt at the top of a hill. The most beautiful country these settlers had ever seen stretched around them. Jumping down from his wagon, Marcus Boylan threw up his hands and called, This is it, folks! This is what we've been looking for. Have you ever seen such beautiful, rich land? George caught his father's excitement. To the west and the north rose wooded mountains, flowers, tall grass, and wide shade trees carpeted the valley below. Look, Pa, George called softly. There to the right. See the fawn? A little fawn was curiously poking his head around the tree to see what these strangers wanted. A mother deer soon came up behind him. She stood looking but for a moment, and then they both disappeared silently into the woods. Sure, son, Pa said. These woods must be filled with all sorts of wild critters. And take a look at them streams running down into the valley. They'll give us all the water we need and fish to spare. The settlers climbed back into their wagons and began the slow descent into their new valley home. Marcus Boylan staked out a large piece of ground for his family's land. This section had many trees that would need to be cut but the land was rich for farming. That night, the settlers met around a campfire to plan the work ahead of them. They decided to live in the wagons until their homes were built. They would build the cabins one at a time, all pitching in to help. The Boylan and Stewart cabins would be the first ones built since these families had the youngest children. George had never been so excited. Every time he had a minute to spare, he ran to the woods for his favorite game, exploring. He decided he discovered new kinds of trees, plants, flowers, and some animals he'd never seen before. But every time he returned to the settlement, he noticed a worried look on his mother's face. George, I don't want you going off into the woods without your father, she finally said one day. We don't know what all is back there yet, and it's certainly no place for a boy to be playing. Ah, oh, Ma, George protested. I don't go far. And anyway, there's nothing back there to hurt me. But even Pa insisted that George stay away from the woods. Your ma's right, boy. We don't know about them woods. And we don't know how many Indians live in them or whether they're friendly or not. So you'd best stay close to me for a while. Lest ways until I can teach you something about the woods and getting along with Redskins. With everybody helping, the boiling cabin went up fast. Marcus had laid out careful plans for a large cabin, and he even built a lean-to on the back for extra storage. George and his friends worked too, mixing mud and pushing it into the chinks between the logs so cold air and snow would not blow in during the winter. At night, 
After the other workers had gone home, Pa would split logs in half and spend long hours making them smooth. These were to be used for the floor of the cabin. This was another job George could help do. He had an ads like Pa's, except George's was smaller. An ads looked like a, an axe with the head turned sideways, but had a thinner, more curved blade for smoothing wood. Most nights, the Stewarts came over, and Mr. Stewart and little Robert joined in with their adzes. It seemed to George that Robert was getting weaker all the time. He had grown thinner until his hands looked as thin and delicate as a girl's, and he had a worried look in his eyes. Something bothering you, Robert? George asked one night. Well, nothing much, Robert hesitated. But I can't help being scared of the Indians out there. I hear tell they even scout people. Mrs. Stewart looked over to where the boys worked. Robert Stewart, are you talking about them Indians again, she asked. I don't want to hear you talking about them anymore. You get yourself too worked up. Sure, boy, Mr. Stewart looked up from his work. The Indians aren't anything to be scared of. Probably aren't any for miles around. Then George saw Mr. Stewart wink at Pa, but he noticed that Pa didn't return the wink. He just shook his head and went back to work. Next morning, the Boylans rode down to the Stewarts' property to begin work on their cabin. The Stewarts were to be their nearest neighbors. Within a few minutes, the other wagons arrived, people filled, filled with people ready to work. By noon, they had cleared land and some of the men had already began to cut logs for the cabin. Pa called George aside. Son, I didn't like the way Stuart was talking so lightly about the Indians last night. Truth of the matter is, there's probably a couple of them watching us all the time to see what we plan to do. They don't like people tearing up their hunting grounds. And like your Grandpa Boylan said, they probably never heard of William Penn's treaty around here. You mean they really are something to be afraid of, Pa? George asked. Like Robert said... Well, no, you don't have to be afraid of him, Pa spoke slowly, seeming to choose his words carefully. You just have to be careful of them. And practice walking quietly in the woods like the Indians do. Don't step on sticks if you can help it. Step lightly and quickly. If you should see an Indian, don't cry out or run. Just take cover behind a bush or some trees. And there's something I want to tell you. Your life could depend on it. So listen carefully. If you should ever run afoul of the Indians, don't act scared. Do you hear me? Never, never show fear. Pa, that might be hard to do. I'd probably be terribly afraid. Pa looked at George sternly. Practice control, boy. Just practice. Then Pa turned and walked away. Within a few months, the pioneers had finished all the cabins and settled down into their new lives. George spent part of every day helping Pa tend the potatoes, corn, and other vegetables they had planted soon after arriving. Evenings they spent fixing up the inside of the cabin. They made a smooth wooden dining table and even put up some shelves for the dishes Ma had brought with her. Sometimes Ma said they worked too hard. No prudence, Pa would answer. I took you away from a nice, comfortable home, and if God gives me the strength, I will give you a good, neat home here on the frontier, too. And that, my friends, is the end of Chapter 2. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you come back tomorrow for 
episode three of Swift Arrow.